So as we begin our, uh, the other practice we'll be doing here for these few days, which is inquiry, we want to encourage your embodied awareness throughout all of it. And so even now, as I'm speaking, please be aware of your body, which is listening, which is hearing me. And again, as I've said before, and I'll say again, it's a very simple, almost a non-effort just to be aware of your body, which is here. And you could be aware of the whole body or a part of the body, but it's it starts to realign the awareness from going out there to the sounds and coming in here and knowing what you're hearing. And it's the same with the sight. And you could have your eyes open or closed right now while I'm speaking. But it's very helpful and it's more a cutting edge for many of us in the Vipassana tradition to keep our eyes open and learn how to be aware that we're aware while our eyes are open. So we're aware of our body and the sounds that are appearing here and also the sights, the shapes and colors and forms and textures that are uh, that are being received by the eyes. And so the, the awareness starts to be more embodied. And of course, I'm pointing at myself, but I'm really pointing at each of you to sense what it is that's knowing what it's aware of, what it's hearing what it's seeing, what is it that is hearing, what is it that is seeing. And I'm not asking for a conceptual answer, I'm asking for an experiential knowing, feeling, sensing. And this will be something we will play with especially on the, uh, in, during the inquiry periods where we'll be doing interactive practice. It's really the interactive practice of investigation. And investigation is one of the seven factors of awakening. And it's right next to mindfulness. Really, they're like this. One becomes mindful, and as one gets here, one starts to investigate reality. And the investigation can be cognitive or um, affective, or somatic or kinesthetic investigation. And it's really the question that often comes up in in this way in Zen practice. They just say, what is this? What is this that knows? And in in our in our tradition, Ajahn Chah would would always ask people to be aware of the one who knows. And of course, he was talking about whoever, to whoever he was talking to, he was asking them to be aware of themselves in this very full way, not just in a conceptual way, but including concept and, and all the other realms of what lives here, but, you know, mind and, and heart and body. 
and consciousness, the, the consciousness that knows. Um, and so the practice of inquiry is a practice that I've done for many, many years, very formally, very formally and for the last 30 some years. And it's a very powerful practice that well, we, many teachers at Spirit Rock teach. And I first got uh, learned from uh, one of my teachers, Hamid Ali, who's a diamond approach teacher who uh, I went to because Jack Cornfield was working with Hamid. And Jack Cornfield was working with Hamid. Many of you know Jack Cornfield was one of the founders of IMS and one of the founders of Spirit Rock. And Jack, um, Jack would go to do inquiry with Hamid because that was Hamid's practice, was inquiry. And, and Jack would go individually and um, do inquiry with uh, Hamid. And I, and Hamid is the founder of the Diamond Approach. And so I joined the Diamond Approach to learn more about Hamid and what he was teaching. And so um, inquiry is an investigation into what's, what's happening now, both, and, and it's a, we use all of our senses to understand it. We think about it, we talk about it, we get curious about it, we get interested uh, in it, and we wonder about it. And then see what happens as that wondering, that interest, that curiosity lives, both conceptually and affectively and somatically. Right? We're curious about the totality of the experience when we think about something, when we investigate something with all our intelligence and, all, and include all the feelings and, and emotions and uh, um, uh, different reactions we might have in the heart and mind. And also, we're curious about what's happening somatically and kinesthetically and energetically when we're thinking, when we're wondering, when we're investigating, when we're inquiring. And I'm giving a broad little outline here of how to do inquiry. And of course, we're going to do some inquiry together in groups. But it's... And the main... Uh, one of the main principles is of inquiry is about, it's the same as dharma. Dharma means truth. Inquiry is about discovering what's true on every level of reality or any level of reality. Maybe it's better said that way. On the level of conventional reality, of dual reality, on the level of the non-dual reality, and on the level of reality beyond dual and non-dual, to really start to see what is this, what is here, what's alive, what is it, what's alive that knows what's happening now, what's alive, what is the awareness that's alive, and what is it both personally and universally and beyond personal and universal. And it's not like we're cognitively trying to think our way to personal or universal or beyond. 
we let the inquiry lead us. And so we discover what's true, but we don't figure out exactly what's true, even though we think about things when we're doing inquiry. And the form of inquiry we'll do, we'll do it, uh, today we'll do it in triads. You'll be in groups of three, or maybe there'll be one group of four, or one group of two. We'll see what the numbers do. Um, I'm not sure what the participants' number is after the teachers and the, and the uh, retreat coordinators. Uh, e- either way, we'll, we'll work out the numbers. And what'll happen is one person, I'm going to give you a, a question to investigate around death. And because that's the realm of reality we're studying right now for these few days. And, um, and um, I'll give you a question and then one person will speak to the question for 10 minutes. And it's what's called a monologue. One person speaking. The other two people aren't speaking. You're listening. And you're the, you could say you're the witnesses. You represent mindfulness. You represent awareness is what you represent. And so you want to be mindful or aware of the other person and what they're saying and what you're seeing because a lot gets communicated visually. And also you want to be aware of yourself and what's happening internally while you're listening, while you're being present for the other person. Okay? And um, um, and so when I'm listening, I want to be sit here or stand, whatever is needed. You can do what you need. It's on Zoom. And I want to be aware of the person speaking. And I'm not trying to um, communicate with them while they're speaking. I actually want to leave them alone so they can have their inquiry. I just want to be a, a representative of awareness. So I want to become part of the space of awareness in which they're inquiring into their experience about death and what, I, and what the content will be. And so as I'm um, listening, uh, I, my affect is neutral, I, and I want it to be neutral. I don't want to impact their inquiry. I don't want to be nodding like this when they're talking, saying, oh, yeah, yeah, good, good, good. I don't want to do that, and I don't want to do, I, I don't understand what you're talking about. You don't want to, you don't want to communicate with them in this way. You can have your own internal reactions to whatever they're doing. You can like it. You can not like it. You can think it's good or bad. You don't want to communicate any of that because you want to let them be free to see what they discover in their own experience of body, heart, and mind. Yeah, and for me personally, the most, the simplest way to, to, uh, to be a listener is to have a really embodied awareness. So I'm sensing my body, and I'm present in my body, and I'm aware of both 
internal and external. I'm being mindful both internally and externally. I'm, I'm aware internally of what's happening for me, uh, emotionally and cognitively and somatically, but I'm really also aware of what they're saying and who, what's happening for them. And the teachings in, in uh, uh, Satipatthana, they say, be mindful internally, be mindful externally, and be mindful both internally and externally at the same time. And you can play with it right now. You can be aware of what's happening within you, even as you're aware of me and what I'm saying, and, and you're being mindful both internally and externally. And it's simpler than one thinks. It's not harder than one thinks. It's just about being here. And so, and for those of you who are doing, and you will go around, each person will have 10 minutes. Might, we might change the time a little if it's two people or, or four people, um, it, you know, in one group or two groups or something. But um, for the person who's inquiring, you want to see what do you know about what the topic is? And I'm going to give you specific. You want to really start with what the topic is that I give you around death. And you want to write it down, if at all possible, so that you're not making up the question. The question is very precise. So we want to be, even though it'll go a few different places, it's thought about. We, we, this is the domain we want you to inquire into. Um, um, see what happens uh, see what happens as you think or feel into the question when you start your inquiry so if um, here I'm going to give you this is not your question but I'm going to give you a fake question here so my so one um, one uh, monologue might be uh, uh, what do I love about the Dharma? And so that if I started that, I might say, oh, I just feel my heart immediately. I just feel my heart when I think about what do I love about the Dharma. I just, it's just love is here and, and I love it. And here's why I love it. I love it because it's so beneficial and it's so commonsensical and it's so good. And it's so, you know, and it's just been given by human beings for, you know, a thousand years. And, and, uh, and it's so um, magical when we actually land in the present moment. And even as I say that, I feel like oh, I'm landing here more in what I'm saying and I feel my body more fully and I don't feel it as a solid body I feel it fluid and, and effervescent and alive and and uh, magical and then even though I'm doing this little inquiry demonstration for you I'm thinking about oh am I saying too much right now even as I'm talking but I want, but uh, but I wanted to include my thinking about while I'm inquiring, I'll say what I'm thinking, as well as what I'm feeling, or what happens that's uh, fun, or what happens that's difficult, you know, because uh, sometimes the Dharma it, it's so uh, 
it's about dukkha, a lot of it, and it's sad. And so that's also true. When I say that, I feel some of the tenderness that I've experienced many times in my practice and in, in following or giving myself to the Dharma. And of course, I'm making this up, but it's also real what I'm saying. And so I'm just trying to give you a little example of that kind of inquiry where you're really exploring what's here. You can follow the thoughts, you can follow the feelings, you can follow the bodily sensations. It's all part of the inquiry. It's not one or the other. We want to include every realm of what's alive here, body, heart, and mind. And now, especially because our topic is death and dying, it's there's a lot of dukkha with death and dying. And uh, I just want to make sure everybody know, anybody not know what the word dukkha means? Okay, that's, thank you. There's a few people raise their hand. Dukkha is a Pali word. It means it's generally translated as suffering or dissatisfaction or dis-ease or it's something that isn't right, it isn't harmonious, it isn't... Dukkha, dukkha, and the reason I use the word dukkha is because it's such a broad word in Pali as compared with suffering. So here, right now, there's different levels of dukkha sitting in the room. And really, if you look around the room, you can see the different kinds of dukkha that people have even been through, but let's not go there now. Um, that's a Eugene way of thinking about things. But um, um, like for some of you may have to go to the bathroom right now and your bladder may be wanting to relieve itself. That's a kind of dukkha. It's discomfort. It's dis-ease. And then, of course, dukkha goes all the way to these very profound levels of, you know, expressions of greed, hate, and delusion that come out as uh, fear or anger or murder or war or, or um, you know, so many different ways dukkha um, uh, appears. And, it, you know, but also a little car crash. You know, not not even a bad one, just you hit the bumper on something. Somebody was telling me about it. And uh, yeah, and that's dukkha, right? Or you, you know, you break up with your partner, right? That's dukkha. Or you just, you don't break up, you just have a fight. And you have to live with your partner when you're angry at him. And that's dukkha. It's, it's just a very broad word that encompasses a domain of human reality that is considered um, one of the characteristics of animal life. I'll say it that way. Definitely one of the characteristics of human life. All animals have dukkha, right? It's part of the deal, right? So that's just, and I use the word all the time, so I want to make sure people understood it. Okay, so I'm just, I want to check with my colleagues. Anything else you want to add in addition to what I said? Just a couple of things, Victoria. Um, 
one, so people have 10 minutes each, right? So 30 minutes total and maybe an extra five minutes just to get oriented. So maybe 35 minutes. Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. And then can you speak a little bit too, if people feel resistance to getting in dyads and talking, we've been settling all morning or triads and um, why it can be such a helpful practice right. is one thing. Sure. Um, and then I'll have something else after you speak to that. Thanks. Sure. Great. Thank you, Victoria. Good question. Um, sometimes people who've been on meditation retreats are very attached to silence. And silence is great. It's great. I, you know, I love doing meditation retreats. I love not talking. I am. I have it on my calendar to do a month in October. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. But in fact, it's one of the things I saw as a young man and ongoing that people didn't learn in Dharma practice is how to relate and stay mindful. They learned the idea of it, but they weren't taught how to do it. And you only learn how to do it by doing it. And this is one formal way that we do it. And it also, you start to see that you can be, and one of the reasons people love, or at least I love, Silent Retreat is the concentration is so beautiful and rich and tasty and delicious, really. And so, and one of the things one can start to see is you can go in and out of concentration, whether you're talking or not. There are two kinds of concentration. One is one-pointed concentration. I forget the name of that. but And that really comes when we're just doing silent retreat. But there's also kinika concentration, which is being concentrated in each moment with different experiences. And we want to be able to develop that muscle. And that builds very beautifully in speaking and listening when we do it as practice. Is that a little bit helpful, Victoria? Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you so much, Eugene. And the other thing is just a reminder about kind of that, like the attitude of mind going into a room with folks we don't know. And really, we we don't know. We can sometimes bring in assumptions, especially, you know, I've done this retreat before, and the ones that struck me were based on age. Like, oh, this this person hasn't lived a full life yet, but you don't know. You don't know who's in the room. You don't know what they've gone through. There can be someone who's 80 who has 20 more years to live, and there can be someone 25 who has six more months. So just watching the mind around the assumptions when we're with the group. And, um, yeah, that's all I have to say. I don't know if there's anything about that to add, Eugene, but thanks. No, that's great and so important because, you know, the overarching uh, practice of mindfulness is to be free even of our own opinions and ideas and beliefs and projections about anybody. Because, you know, I don't know any of you, <laughs> really, <laughs> really. And even the people I know, I barely know. I mean, it's one of the beautiful things for me about being in a long-term relationship 
and I've been married 25 years, six years, 30 years, I can't remember anymore. But, but I'd also, when I realized, oh, I don't know this person, really. I mean, I know them, and I know a lot about them, but I don't know them. I'm still learning who this person is, who I'm living with. And it's wild. And it's, of course, you know, I will say one story. This is a Eugene story. But when I, my daughter was growing up, I was trying to teach her. A, she wanted to learn something about mindfulness and what was I talking about. And, and I was very not push. I didn't push mindfulness on my daughter at all. But um, at some point, I don't know if she was six, eight, something like that. She wanted to know more what it, what happens if you're mindful. And I said something, oh, you get to be free of your identity, you know, which, what do you mean? What is that? Da, 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 da. I said, okay, come here, sit with me. And we would sit. And I said, sit face to face and look at me. And I, I'm going to see that you're not my daughter. Right? And I said to her, I said, okay, I'm going to see you're not my daughter, and I want you to see I'm not your dad, that these are just roles that we're in. Right? And I was just playing with her a little bit. And she did it for about uh, 30 seconds, and then she said, okay, okay, that's enough. And, and later she said, she's, and she loved me seeing her as not her, my daughter. She loved that because then she wasn't bound by my ideas about her, which, of course, all kids want to be free of their parents' ideas at some point. And but when when uh, yeah, and so um, but seeing that I wasn't her dad, that was a little too weird at that age. Right. That, you know, that. And of course, I said to her later, I said, well, I am your dad, but I'm also more than your dad, just like you are my daughter, but you're more than my daughter. And so that also helped finally. But, And it's the same here. We know people and we don't know them, even when we think we know them. And so um, see what happens if you let go of your ideas or projections or beliefs and see what is in the room, not even who, what is, what is the liveness that is speaking? Yeah. Okay. So here's, here's what I would like you to write down. This is the inquiry. And you can write it however you would like on a paper or computer. I assume you all have computers. David, if you don't have any paper, don't worry about it. You look like you don't. Maybe you do. <laughs> um, okay, so here's the, the monologue. So what's your relationship to death? What is your relationship to death? And, I'm, and, and then I'm going to broaden the question, which you should also write down. So the, the overarching question, what's your relationship to death? Make it personal. How has death impacted you or affected you? 
How has death impacted or affected you? How has it informed your life? your experience. Reality. And you can talk about specifics. You can talk about specifics like who died or when one of your worlds died. Meaning a scene or a place or a career or things like that. And you want to talk about any part of this question that now I'm now I'm just commenting. You don't have to write this down. Um, you can talk talk about any part of this question, whatever comes up for you. But also you can talk, and you want to talk about what happens now as you hear the question, or as you begin to speak about the question or as somebody comes to mind, or something comes to mind, some experience that ended or died, or some person, or something you've grieved, or whatever it might be. You want to you wanna talk about the content, and then you want to talk about what's happening now as you're talking about the content. This is the important line. Talk about the content, and what's happening in the moment as you're talking about the content. Does that make sense? Okay, that's very key. So it's not just a cognitive investigation. It's a, it, it includes the, the cognitive investigation, but it's also kinesthetic, energetic, you know, affective aliveness of what's happening while we're thinking about things, contemplating something, investigating something in the moment. And even you can include, like I'm thinking of some of you might start the, the inquiry and say, God, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. I mean, I can talk about death, but what do you mean? I've got to talk about my body. So now you're talking about, and, and then you could say, well, I feel confused. And that becomes part of the inquiry. How does it feel to be confused in your body? Or, or how do you feel? I don't like being confused. Like the moment, the moment's experience becomes part of the inquiry. Or I don't really, or you may, maybe some people, I'm just making this up, but maybe some people will start and feel like I don't really want to talk about death. So then feel what's here when you don't want to talk about death. You don't have to want to talk about death, right? So there might be fear or anger or sadness or grief.
Okay, does that seem, Victoria, go ahead. And since we're sharing so personally, can you give a reminder about confidentiality and yes, how to hold thank that? You. Thank Thanks. you, right. So especially for the listeners, everything is confidential. Everything. If you can't, if you can't commit to confidentiality, then you have to go off the screen right now and not do this because everything is confidential. This is not to be talked about later. You can talk about your experience of how you felt listening to somebody. You can't talk about what they say. That's not appropriate, right? Is everybody clear about that? Is anybody who can't be confidential? Can, can raise your hand if you can be. Con, raise your hand if it's you agree to be confidential. Great. It's good to put it in into the body by raising your hand that way. Thank you. Yeah. And for the um, person speaking, you might just feel shy right? Just because you haven't done this before. And it's personal, it's intimate. And so you can include the shyness in the inquiry. It's what's here. It's not a bad thing. One of my friends who wrote a book, he wrote, he said, shyness is a harbinger of being coming into the world. Shyness is a harbinger of being coming into the world. It's a beautiful understanding of, of shyness is an expression of the heart and of, of the purity of what we are coming into the world. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.